Hi, I'm Ivan Berry, the announcer for Fulham, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Wachler. A little over a month after winning promotion to the Premier League, the new season is already upon us. We're of course here for you all season once again with a couple of new signings of our own who we will reveal in due course. But we have kept the majority of our squad together and I can confirm that we've all had a superb pre-season spent in South London's pubs and Indian restaurants where we've refined the fine art of talking nonsense about our beloved Fulham down to a T. Tonight, I'll be joined by Danny Boy a little later on to look back over the Fulham career of the one and only Morris Fultz. But before I do that, I present you your pod team to look ahead to the opening game with Arsenal. I was in Sainsbury's at the weekend, and when I got out of my car, I noticed that the car next to me had left their key in the door. Of course, I took the key and handed it in, but not before taking a picture and sending it to the focus group with the caption, what sort of idiot does this? Joining me this evening is the man who replied to this message with, I've done that before, twice. It is, of course, who else? Baldo. Hello, mate. Yes, I have done it twice, but thankfully it wasn't It wasn't in cars that were worth stealing, so I think I managed to get away with it. Still did it, though, mate. Also joining me is a man who is generally calmness personified until Fulham go 2-0 up in the playoff final, where he ends up giggling whilst running up and down the hallway. It's Eastbourne's King of Innuendo, Matt Dom. Good evening, mate. Hello, mate. You're right. Yeah, well, thanks. All right, let's go. Fulham. All right, lads. Well, before we start, a quick verdict from both of you on the new Home and Away kit that came out this week. Baldo, I know you're a big fan of football kits. What do you make of them? Um, I thought, I, I said it on Twitter, I think we hit it out of the park with every single one of them. There isn't a bad kit amongst them. You know, we, uh, I, I've, I've often complained that we change it every single year. We never have a consistent kit. You know, there's always there's always some minor change, but I absolutely love this season's kit. The um the black the black sleeves do perfectly for me. And I just want a special shout out to the I think it's the third choice goalkeeper kit with the black and then the like light blue under the sleeves. Every single one fantastic, but I think those two and that one goalkeeper kit specifically gets the biggest mention. I've got not nearly enough to say as but as much to say as Baldwin has. Um Home kit, white with a bit of black on it, lovely. Um, and I, I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, in your face, uh, yellow away kit or goalkeeper kit. So yeah, fine for me. They didn't change it to red, so you know that's my main <laughs> that's my main concern gone. So yeah, fair enough. The last time I remember us having a yellow away kit was um, we got promoted under Kevin Keegan. I'm, I'm not sure if we've had one since then, but maybe we have. 2008, 2009, the 7th. Oh, okay. Well, there we go then. Yellow is associated with success. All right. Well, let's let's get on with it then. So, lads, as it feels to be back in the Premier League, just as a little pulse check, are you feeling blind optimism, total dread, or something in the middle at the moment? Dom, I come to you first. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. Um, I think I think we're in a better place than last time, given given our style of football. I think is more suited to staying in the league. Um, I think we've got a few, quite a few kind of weak spots in the squad. But at the same time, 
I think the fact that there's quite a short turnaround is probably going to work in our favour a bit, especially to start with, because um, the same group of players are largely going to be um, playing together. And, you know, the last game was not much more than a month ago. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic we'll get a fairly decent start and, and do just about enough throughout the season. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I don't. I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic, but I'm ninety percent sure that's all going to change after the first game because I. I think I've said this in the chat. Once we get the first game out of the way, we've got a pretty easy first couple of first couple of games. I think it's not really until November that we that things start to get really interesting and really difficult. So I think that's really going to be when I'll start to get a little bit of optimism because I'm ninety percent sure that I'm going to be devastated coming out of the Arsenal game for reasons that we're going to get onto later. I mean, I, I don't like you using the word easy. <laughs> I mean, we've still got to go to Aston, uh, uh, yeah, Aston Villa. We've got to go to every or at home to Aston Villa. I, I, thought, I think I mean easy in the sense that we don't have, like, Man United away, Liverpool at home, yeah. Nancy away. We don't have a run of terrible, you know, at least on paper okay. fixtures. All right. Okay. Um, I, I think for me, I'm I'm generally quite an optimistic person anyway, and and I was really optimistic last time when we got promoted, and I still felt at one 0 down at home to Crystal Palace that that we were gonna we were gonna turn it round until they got their second goal. So I, I think we'll do okay. I can I can see us I can see us getting a result against Arsenal at the weekend. To be honest, um, I, I think they're gonna. I was just about to say they're going to struggle to score against us, but you've got to be so careful what you say on these things because your words can come back to bite you. But we'll, we'll come on to that anyway. Let, let's move on. Um, I mentioned it a second ago. Our first match back in the Premier League two years ago against Palace ended with a, a Fulham team of absolute strangers quite easily beaten in the end, I suppose, by Roy Hodgson's side. The core of the squad has been kept together this this time, which has to be a good thing. Even if the fact that Alfie Mawson and Stephen Sessegnon went on loan to Bristol City earlier this week, Marcus Bettinelli's gone on loan to Middlesbrough today, also on loan. So it does leave us looking a little bit light at the back. But we've had some good news just before we started recording that we've signed uh, Alphonse Ariola on loan from Paris Saint-Germain tonight. Big six foot five goalkeeper, was on loan at Real Madrid last season. Um, had some good experience. I think he was France's third choice keeper when France won the World Cup a couple of years ago. Baldo, does he go straight into the team for you on Saturday? I think now that we've sort of understood what the parameters of the transfer are, I don't think we really have much of a choice. If we're playing, I think we're paying 100% of his wages, which works out to about, I saw somewhere around the figure of eight and a half to nine million euros a year. You're not paying that sort of figure to have someone sit on the bench. If we're being, if we're being brutally honest, you know, I don't know what Marek Rodak is on, but I'm ninety percent sure it's a lot less than that. So yeah, I think I think this move has been brought in for him to for him to start. And I think I think it's that's a bit of a shame on Marek Rodak's front, to be fair, because I've said in the past that he's earned the right to at least start in the Premier League. If we find out that he's no good, then we move on to the second choice goalkeeper. But I think to force. Um, Ariola on him straight away is, I think, is a bit harsh. And what about you, Dom? I mean, we we, uh, we all read that article that somebody posted in the chat from The Athletic today about Scott Parker and, and man management being one of his strongest assets. Um, lots of people speak very highly of Scott Parker's man management. Putting um, Ariola straight into the team at the weekend, that would just completely go against man management, wouldn't it? Because Marek Rodex surely earned the right to start. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's a tricky one. Um, I think we all agreed that 
we probably needed another keeper. Um, I think in my mind it was going to be kind of an older head who um, has more Premier League experience, uh, could sit on the bench, but should Rodak's form drop, which it probably will at some point, he's still young, um, could come in and do a job. But the money that's involved in this, it's, it is suggests he's coming in to to be first choice. But I, I don't... I've got a sneaky suspicion that Parker's probably going to start with Rodak and see where it goes. Um, because as we, we, we've seen with transfers in this club in the past, it's sometimes not the manager's decision. And I wonder if Scott Parker is entirely behind this one or whether it's Tony Khan trying to make a bit of a marquee a bit of a marquee signing. Um, and Scott might think you know, Rodak was doing a good job, so let's let's give him a chance. And when he makes a couple of mistakes in a row, give the other guy a chance. I hope I hope that's how it goes. Yeah, that being said, the combination of Rodak and Ariola is a better combination than Rodak and Bettinelli, isn't it? So we're we're in a better place already. That is that that is we strengthened for sure, regardless of who stars and who doesn't. One area that we're still not overly strong in is defence, though. Right back Ola Ayana is expected to also join on loan from Torino with an option to buy. And another right back, Kenny Tete, will sign permanently from Lyon before the weekend, um, if rumours are to be believed. You do have to question how ready any new signings would be to play against Arsenal, particularly out- outfield players. Does the defence worry you, Baldo, particularly given that we're going to be up against Aubameyang, who scored 22 goals for Arsenal last season? Yes, the defence does worry me. Just quick, I was, I was watching on Sky Sports News today. They noted that these three transfers that we want to get through, Ariola, Tete and Aina, they said they wanted to, the, the club wanted to get it done in time for the game against Arsenal. So you're starting to get a feeling that if we do get them over the line, they are going to start. Um, if I'm being honest, the the flank, the wide defence hasn't really bothered me. I've I've always said that I think Christy Adoy and Joe Bryan, you know, in whatever combination you want to play them, is good enough for is good enough, you know, for the Premier League. So I don't see why we invest there. It's the central defence that really worries me. And I know people have been saying it on Twitter. The fact that we're going in for a game against a against Aubameyang and Lacazette to that extent with Tim Ream in central defence. That's really been the thing that's worrying me. I know we've still got, I think, just under a month of the transfer window left. It ends in the uh, start of October. But I just find it baffling that we're addressing that part of the defence first when it's really the centre of it that needs that needs addressing the most. I'm not saying that it's a bad decision we're signing these players. If Tony Khan and Scott Parker think they'll do well, then by all means do it. But they really should have sorted out the centre part of it first. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The defence is still an obvious concern, isn't it? Um, Tim Ream didn't have a good time uh, in the Premier League last time. He lacks pace, but... Hopefully that will be addressed in the coming weeks. We've still got another month or so to go, or just under a month, I think, until the transfer window's up. And in any case, last time we had the, the big the big bang approach, didn't we, with, with all those signings right before the, the start of the season and they were straight into the team. This time I'm quite happy with, with incremental change and that we're, we're going to kind of be forced to do that with the extended transfer window anyway. Yeah, I mean, I the only thing I've really got to add is I'm, I struggle to believe we're not going to bring in a defender because Tim Ream with Le Marchand as his backup or Hector with the Doyle as his backup just just isn't good enough. It wasn't good enough last time. And we had Mawson at the same time. So 
yeah, I, I'm pretty sure something is in the works, uh, but it might not happen for Arsenal, so we'll have to make do. Yeah, I think so. Does the fact that we're playing something of a resurgent Arsenal team mean that there's a little bit less pressure on us to win the game anyway? Or does the fact that Arsenal aren't the force that they once were when it comes to competing to win the Premier League make you feel like we've got a decent chance of getting points on the board here? As a side note, Arsenal's away record last season reads 1-4, drawn 8 and lost 7. Far from amazing, Dom. Yeah, far from amazing, but um, can't be certain on their away form in the second half of the season, but they definitely picked up uh, when Arteta took over. So he's he's made them harder to beat, um, which you know, might not be an issue for us because we're probably going to be happy with the, with the point. Um, they're, they're a good side. They've got some good players and they've got a lot of pace, which is the thing that, that worries me most with um, Tim Ream in particular in, in defence. Pressure, I mean, the thing is that there's probably going to be no pressure on us all season until it gets to the point where we're a couple of wins away from 17th if, if it comes to that point. So hopefully Scott Parker will have that jumped into the players. You know, we're not expected to win. Let's show them what we've got because um, we could we could upset a few teams this season, particularly teams who like to score lots of goals. Um, and if we can stop them doing that, then, then you know, we might, we might get some good results. Yeah, I think we can we can go into this game with a somewhat level of confidence because even though we're not going to be favoured, Arsenal, as as Frenchie alluded to, aren't exactly the greatest when it comes to away games. I've just got some of these stats up here that our wonderful statistic, statistician Matthew Arter is uh, compiled for us. Um, they score less than average goals per away game. You know, they score only one on average. Uh, one, the average is one point two six across the league. Um, Let's see, opponents score first against Arsenal 53% of the time when Arsenal are away. Uh, Arsenal's opponents have taken the lead 14 times when Arsenal have only managed to score an equaliser. So they are susceptible to being caught out away from home. I don't know whether or not the majority of these were under uh, Unai Emery and then subsequently Freddie Lundberg, but overall, they can still they can still be got at. I think our style of play will give us a little bit of a little bit of an edge of that of that sense because we're not going to try to win the game. No, we can't. We will try to win the game, obviously, but if we don't think we can, we can hold the ball, you know, as well as well as anyone and frustrate them. So if we want if we want to play for a point, I think it's very easy that we can do and Arsenal will struggle to win if we try to do that. The the thing is the, the away game that concerns me for Arsenal is uh two years ago when they beat us five one at the cottage and um I think Bamyang got a couple, did he? Lacazette scored. Um, and then I think Ramsey with that absolutely stupendous goal that they scored. <laughs> that sort of thing is what worries me. And if it's much the same defence who started that game, uh, without without getting it up on, on the screen, it's probably Adoy, Reem, Joe Bryan were probably involved in that in that defense. That's yeah, we have Michael Hector me. now. He solves all problems. He's Virgil <laughs> Van Mike. We're, we're bound to be so much better because of him. And, yeah, and I are. think we would. And I think and I think Rodak in goal as opposed to Bettinelli at that time as well. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, we we look harder to beat now than we did then, um, but it, it's difficult to go on last year's away record, isn't it? Because um, I think we we can all remember that game was one of the worst. It was certainly one of the worst I can remember from two years ago. We are a better side defensively now. We've still got the same players, but we defend better as a team. We've got Harrison Reed sitting in front of that back four as well, who's 
who's excellent. So, you know, I, I think we're in a much, much better place, but whether or not that'll be enough to get a result against Arsenal remains to be seen. Uh, Mikel Arteta took over at the Emirates just before last Christmas, replacing the Sack Dunai Emery. He played for the club for five years and was club captain as well before going to work as Pep Guardiola's assistant for three seasons. He's already won the FA Cup and Community Shield. I think there's several parallels between his time at Arsenal and Scott Parker's time at Fulham, namely both uh, ex-club captains who have enjoyed a successful first season in charge. But of course, the expectation levels are very different for both managers. What does Scott have to do to be successful this season for you? For me, staying up would be a bigger achievement than getting promoted in the first place. But I just hope the club backs him regardless of what happens. I feel like we're in a good place with him in charge, Baldo. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think given given the task that is at hand, you know, given the short turnaround, teams that finish, you know, that get promoted in the playoffs are always going to struggle because of the, you know, the time difference between getting promoted and the first game of the season. That's going to be even more a case this this season. So, so everything has been stacked against him. So, if he were to keep us up, I think it would be a fantastic. In terms of success, I don't know if we really want to just be focusing at the whole thing on the on the league form i think if we were to go on a semi-decent cup run um yeah if i look if we look at the league cup i think we've got a favorable first favorable again easy on paper first two games i said first two games we still got to get past ipswich in the first one but when you get part it's which i think is then like sheffield wednesday or rochdale something along those lines so if we were to have a semi-successful cup run, maybe a quarterfinal, I think that would that would be great as well. I don't want it to just be a case of finishing 17th and that's it. I want there to be you know, extra things on top of that as well. Don't ask for much, do you, Baldo? I mean, I mean, let's face it, 17th is would be a monumental achievement given we just got promoted a month ago from from finishing fourth in the championship and remember for a lot of that season a lot of us were unhappy with the way it was going we we weren't enjoying the football and we we didn't think it was going to happen so to then be better than the three teams in the premier league when the season's just started about to start again is is a huge achievement not too bothered about the cup and a cup run is fun and it's fine but but success would be 17th and even if we go down it doesn't necessarily mean I think we we should stick with him regardless because he's he's proven enough last season to to justify this is a long-term thing with him. The thing is last season you, you say we weren't particularly happy with it but we were still winning games it was just quite boring to watch at times but ultimately it was successful we were winning a lot of games 1-0 we were bringing on a couple of extra defenders at the end of games and seeing games out but we were getting the results and it's a results business isn't it so we got the job done and that served us really well in the playoffs as, as Danny wrote an article a few months ago saying that you know Scott Parker's football does really suit playoff football and and he was right it, it did we, we saw off Cardiff and then beat Brentford quite magnificently in the end so all's well that ends well talking about our style we aren't we aren't particularly prolific in front of goal anyway but um this summer Mikel Arteta has bolstered the Arsenal defence he's completed the permanent signing of Cedric Suarez a right back uh, on a free from Southampton Pablo Mari a centre-back who cost eight million from Flamengo in Brazil and Gabriel a centre-back who cost 23 million from Lille as well Arteta had already tightened up the Arsenal defence last season. Under Unai Emery, Arsenal conceded 1.46 goals per game. 
and they average just 1.1 per game under Arteta. Dom, where will our goals come from if we are to get a result against Arsenal? I think they'll probably come from the same place they came last season. Um, we need we need Mitrovic to get what fifteen goals this year at least. I think to for us to to stay up. Um, I think I think he can get more than fifteen. He got eleven last time, and we were shit. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. He's definitely capable. And I think in a in a team that was top half, he would be a twenty goal a season striker. Um, but you you kind of go way up the fact that we don't score as many now um, and we just need to supply him because I watched yesterday, I watched the, his goals from last season and almost all of them are kind of six yard box, roof the net, headers, proper striker goals. And, and we just need to give him that, that uh, get the ball into the box, put it on his head, put it wherever and, and put it in the net because I think it, it worked last season. Goals didn't necessarily until towards the end come from, elsewhere on the pitch and, and then they stepped up when when Mitrovic wasn't there but he's our he's our main man so hopefully most of the goals have come from him and I'm happy with if, if all of them came from him and we stayed up then I'd be more than happy with that Would it be too crazy of me to suggest that we get our goals from set pieces can we get another Niskan Skabano free kick masterclass once again um, honestly I don't think we're going to get much from it from open play if I because I, I do think Arteta has strengthened that defense quite quite well, and again after he's had a couple more weeks to work with them, I mean he kept you know Liverpool with a great mighty all flowing scoring Liverpool down to one goal in the Community Shield, so I think he has got something there. I don't think we're going to get many charts from open play. It's just a case of whether or not we're gonna uh, we're going to convert them. So I think set piece is really going to be the main place for us to get them. Probably not corners because we're not exactly the tallest or. And prolific of teams when it comes to quarters from there, but maybe free kicks again, maybe another Joe Bryan catching someone out at the near post sort of thing. I'm not convinced we're not going to get too many chances of open play. I mean, as we've discussed, they have got better at the back, but they still have people like David Luiz. Uh, I think he, he may be injured, not 100% certain about that, but if he plays, then Mitrovic has got to be fancying getting the better of him. Because <laughs> after the restart, he looked absolutely awful, and then they, they gave him a new contract. And I think we can get that. We can get them. They've got weak weak areas, and just go for it. David Luiz gave away a record five penalties last season. I know he scored a belter for Chelsea at the Cottage once, didn't he? Um, but gotta be open. He's playing, haven't we, Baldo? Yeah, absolutely. I was bang in line with that. David Luiz, it still sticks to my head as a brilliant guy. Yeah, I do think that David Luiz will be, you know, error prone. But as Matt Dom alluded to, I think he's injured for this one. So I don't think we're going to get much oh, luck out of that fun, I'm afraid. Unless there's some miraculous recovery in the in the interim. Let's hope so. But they have, they, as I said, they have signed that Gabriel, um, who's a, who's a centre back. So probably not going to not going to have that option, sadly. All right, well, let's come on to the stats then. Um, Stato's lovingly prepared these for us. Dom, what you got for us? Um, well, I'll, I'll start with our record against Arsenal, which um, it's not great reading. Uh, we've lost our last five games against them, conceding 15 in the process with only four goals uh, scored. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> tighten up at the back, I think, is uh, what we the message we need to get across. And um, we've won... In uh, all the games we played against them, we've won. We've won eight, drawn ten, and Arsenal have won thirty-nine. 
so that's um and all eight of our wins have been at home so that that gives a, a bit of i suppose bit, being that we can beat them at home is it gives a bit of conf, confidence but it, it, we're up against it aren't we let's face it the last win was january 2012 uh where Bobby Zamora scored that uh, last minute winner, uh, which coincidentally as well was uh, J Max's first game at the cottage. So, uh, lovely little memory for him there. Story of Arsenal last year. They actually had a good pre season um, and people was, were suggesting they they bought well uh, with players like Nicolas Pepe, Kieran Tierney, David Luiz, and Danny Caballos. Believe it or not, David Luiz was actually touted as a good signing because they didn't, they didn't actually pay that much for him. But, but then everyone remembered. He's actually shit. So, um, you know, how much you pay pay for a player if he's shit? He's no good, is he? Um, they got off a, to a mediocre start, won four out of ten. And then in November, they didn't win a single game, which um, unsurprisingly was the was the end of Emery. Um, and Fred Jungbo took over, uh, but he only won one game in his in his time. And then, then it got to the point where they were, I think I'm right in saying they were, closer to the relegation zone than they were to to europe um and my my arsenal fan mate was was concerned that they were going to go down which looking back was a bit of a silly one but um you know you know what you know what football fans are like they were never going to go down um michael arteta came in um and they improved really is the story of the season um start of the new year they went eight games unbeaten in the league winning four and drawing four um and then won five out of the last 10 to finish eighth so really a story of a season of two halves and um we've got to be hoping that they start start this season like uh, like they started last one really yeah absolutely well let's let's have a look at their key players then so we'll start at the top they've they've obviously got Pierre-Emerick Bamiang. He signed in 2018 in the January transfer window and cost £56 million, called £56 million. He's since gone on to score 54 goals in 82 games, so excellent value for money. And he's now their club captain as well. I think they're trying to tie him down to a new contract at the moment. As I said, he's got 22 goals and three assists last season. And we expect him to line up on the left wing and he will frequently cut into the middle. So whoever plays right back is going to have their work cut out against him. Also, they've got Bukio Saka, 19-year-old, who had a groundbreaking season last year. Uh, One of Arsenal's key players who can either play left-back, left-midfield or right-midfield. Attacking midfield and up front too. He took up all of those positions last year, apparently. Recent games have shown him slotting into the right midfield position with uh, Lacazette or Nketiah through the middle. Um, He got five goals and six assists last season and was given the number seven shirt for the upcoming season, showing a hint that he will be uh, a first-choice attacker for them. Uh, Kieran Tierney, um, I think we were linked with him at some point, actually, but for some reason, unbeknownst to me, uh, he ended up going to Arsenal. He signed last year, but he was injury-plagued at the beginning of his career at Arsenal. Um, In the second half of the season, he got his fitness back up and became a key player in the Arsenal defence. He's a traditional left-back, but can adapt to play either left centre-back or left wing-back if Arsenal uh, play three across the back. Then we've got the Arsenal goalkeepers, a choice between Bernd Leno and Emmy Martinez. Um, Both keepers highly rated, and it's unclear who will start for Arsenal on Saturday against us. Of course, they were linked with uh, Ariola as well at one point, um, but he ended up coming to Fulham. Good choice, son. 
Martinez came in when Leno got injured uh, since the restart and has since won the FA Cup with them. Over their time at Arsenal, Leno has kept eight clean sheets in 30 Premier League games and Martinez has kept three clean sheets in nine Premier League games. Baldo, what have you got for us? Uh, well, I'm going to be taking a look at their new signings because obviously it's transfer window and still going on. But they have made a couple of very astute signings in my eyes. Uh, William probably being, or Willian, Willian, however you wish to pronounce it, probably being the key one, a uh, free agent from Chelsea. I think that's arguably going to be their best move because I think it brings in a sort of a proven a proven winner for them. I think it could be a real really good mentality boost for them could play more or less anywhere across the front three and could cause anyone problems we've already mentioned the defenders like of gabriel for 23 million pounds uh william saliba saliba pronounce it how you will uh brought him from saint etienne um cedric suarez and pablo mario have both had their deals uh, their loan deals permanent so a bit of um it's similar similar to us trying to keep a good core of the squad together on that lot and danny sabios as well who i thought was a really good player for them last season he's returning for another season long loan uh only provided two assists for them but was uh, deemed a key part of their midfield under arteta and becoming a bit of a fan favorite there i expected to play a little bit more of a role uh more of a role this season and um again any any number of those players could cause us could cause us problems on saturday great stuff mate thanks for that well before we go any further i'm going to go across now to my chat with danny about morris Foltz. Fulham. It's a new season and it's the return of our player focus feature where we look back over the Fulham careers of some heroes, both current and from days gone by. This week, it's the turn of Morris Voltz. Danny Boy's with me to take a walk down memory lane. Danny, I was going to ask you how your summer's been, mate, but really because of the situation, we haven't really had a summer break from Fulham focus, have we? No, we certainly haven't. It's been mayhem, hasn't it? But uh, looking forward to the new season and Really looking forward to getting these uh, player chats up and running again. Didn't do a lot of them last year because of these schedules. So, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to this Volsi one. Well, Volsi signed for Fulham on loan from Arsenal in the summer of 2003. And really, he was brought in to fill the void left by Steve Finnan, who just departed for Liverpool that summer. How did you feel getting an untried 20-year-old fullback on loan to replace somebody who had achieved so much with the club in the same position? First of all, it was unrealistic to, to expect a youngster from Arsenal to be able to fill those shoes. Just to put it into perspective, obviously I can't speak for all fans, but I think most Fulham fans speak very highly of Stephen. And if you take George Cohen out of the equation, someone who won a World Cup and has a statue at Craven Cottage, in my opinion, Stephen is comfortably the best right-back to play for the club. You know, Not only was he a pivotal part of two 101-point winning promotions, He's also the only player in 14 seasons to be voted into the uh, PFA Premier League team in a year. So it's not an ordinary position to fill. You know, he was a very special player. I think the fact that Volts was a young man with very little first-team experience, obviously he came from the Arsenal reserves. Arsenal thought very highly of him, but he was only a young man. I think that went in his favour when it came to our expectations of him. If he had been a record-breaking £11 million signing in a French international like Steve Marley, I think expectations would have been completely different. We would have expected a replacement for Steve Finnan. So, yeah, it was an impossible position for him to fill and all he could do was try his best. And and I, I thought he did that. I thought he got off to a good start. 
Yeah, and looking back, I don't ever remember the right-back position being a problem at all that season after Finnan had left, and that's probably the biggest compliment you can pay to, to Volz. Um, he definitely deserved his permanent move that followed in January, didn't he? And you look back at that season, the 2003-2004 season, and had Louis Sahar not left in January to sign for Manchester United, then who knows what we would have achieved, because I think we were, we were fourth at Christmas, weren't we, that season? Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest compliment you can pay Volts. And I think it's the best period of his Fulham career was was that loan spell. I mean, I don't remember ever dwelling on the fact that Finham wasn't there. There wasn't a void left. And he took to Fulham like a, a duck to water. Obviously, Finham was very good technically. Best crosser of the ball I've seen Dan Fulham in my years. And positional awareness. You know, he wasn't fast, but he never seemed to get beaten by the wingers. Volts obviously was inferior in all those aspects, but Finnan wasn't much of an athlete. He was a footballer. And Volts offered us more pace, uh, his enthusiasm to, to drive forward with the ball, and he, he was probably more positive. And it just gave us a different option. And with the players around him that we had at the time, it just worked. There was a very confident feel about all the players. And like you said, you know, we were fourth going into um, the game before Christmas Day. And and had Sahar not left in, in the January, who knows what would have happened. But the whole team takes credit for how well we did in that first half of the season and, and vaults very much so for, for the way he, he started his career. And the left fullback as well. We had Jerome Bonicel for, for that period and then he just got injured. But he looked excellent, I thought. He was he was brilliant. And what might have been had he had he just stayed as well and, and managed to get himself fit. We we just looked good all through that team, didn't we? We had quality throughout. Yeah, I think this is probably um, the turning point of Fulham's transfer policy and, and the way we did things for the next few seasons. And in a way, I feel a bit sorry for Voltsy and I feel very sorry for Chris Coleman because from day one when Alfie had bought the club, it was all about the wow factor and signing the big signings and turning heads, stealing the headlines and we're going to be the Man United of the South. And Steve Marley very much fit into that when he signed and I think when Fultz made his debut at home to Middlesbrough, the first game of that season, it was the last game Steve Marley played before he left. And obviously, that was two years after he signed for us. And it was quite clear that we were never going to get value for money for Marley. Although I don't think he was as bad as some people make out, the reality is he was a failure for the money we paid for him. And I think that sucked the enthusiasm out of our ambition and Maybe we realise money doesn't guarantee success. We can do this on the cheap. And Chris Carman went from inheriting arguably the best Fulham squad we had in the Premier League era to maybe the worst. Downgrades in every single position. And Volts for me, excelled having better players around him. But the reality is that he was quite an average player. And when downgraded into an average team, I think he looks average. I think his career fizzled out eventually and he never quite lived up to the the initial loan spell. But I I don't know if that's necessarily his fault or just the situation the club found themselves in. Uh, Yeah, I think that's all very fair. And you you get players like that often. I mean, I know we're talking about Maurice Foltz here, but you you could label that that same kind of, if it is a criticism, you could label that same criticism to somebody like Aaron Hughes, whose level was brought up by playing alongside Breda Hangeland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Hughes was a better player than Volts uh, in his own right. But I get what you're saying. 
Aaron Hughes was never like the main man in that Hodgson team. I think if you get the right balance of players together, a team is more important than individuals. And yeah. it's more important to have a, a handful of average players that can up their game rather than having 11 superstars that aren't cohesive. We've had plenty of them as well over the years, haven't we? <laughs> we certainly yeah. have, yeah. Well, Volsi was a great character. You know, you, for, for all of his um, kind of antics on the pitch, he was a great character off of the pitch as well, from turning up to Craven Cottage on his push bike to creating his own tongue-in-cheek website. And you've got to remember as well, when he did that, he created this website. I think it was Volsi.com, and I've looked, and it's not there anymore, unfortunately. But this was in the days before the social media craze, and it wasn't that, that easy to, to get hold of players and to see what players are up to. Um, you know, these days, players are posting what they have for lunch on, on Twitter or on, on Instagram or whatever. But back then, you didn't even have the internet on your phone. So if you wanted to log into MySpace, or I guess that was the beginning of Facebook, then you'd you'd have to log onto an actual computer. But, but obviously, things have changed now. But my point is that he was one of the only people that I was aware of at the time that had their own their, their own website and it was very much you know uh, going into the world cup in 2006 and documenting his his antics over in germany during the world cup filling up his panini sticker album he was just very normal um and I, I really enjoyed that that aspect of him and in all honesty they they were probably my favorite moments of of Volsi. you know he's, he achieved plenty on the pitch and that's maybe it's doing him a disservice to say that, that the way he behaved off the pitch were my favourite part of him being at the club. Um, but I did just enjoy that interaction with him that, that the fans had with him um, away from football. Uh, what, what was your favourite moment from his time at the club? Well, I think that is what made Volt so lovable, was that it doesn't matter always how good you are as a player, it's how you relate to the fans and that connection, that bond you can create with the fans. And Like you said, he was normal. You know, me and you remember an era from the 90s where Fulham, they were such a a small club that the world didn't really care about and, and we were very much part of it. It was our club back then. As we grew and we got into the Premier League, a barrier seemed to be put up where the players needed to be protected and things just changed. But Volts gave us a key into his world, if you like. You know, he wasn't in this Premier League bubble where he was, you know, a distant player. Um, he was one of us. And and I think a lot of Fulham fans could relate to him. You know, of all the players we've had over the years, I would say that he just got Fulham more than a lot of them did. He was just a very good fit for us. And, you know, I, I think that's what made him so popular. Um, a bit like John Pansiel, a little bit like Brian, Brian McBride. There was just something about their attitude towards the fans that made them more lovable than maybe their contributions on the pitch deserved. You know, McBride has got a bar. I mean, compared to some of the players we've had over the years, just on his football ability, that's maybe not justified, but he deserves it because he's the all-round package. And for me, as a Fulham player, I would rather have the full package than just a superstar. In terms of my favourite moment for Volts, uh, I've got a couple. Um, one football-related, one personal. Uh, I start with a personal one. So, like you said, uh, when Volts played for us, there wasn't much interaction with players and there was no internet or social media. So, I grew up in a place called The Borough, which is right by London Bridge. 
And when I was little, it was quite quiet place, like a village, the other side of the city and away from the mayhem. And no one had really heard of it. It's, it's different now. It's, it's very busy now. But back then, if I was to say I was from the borough, most people would go, where? And I would have to say, oh, it's near London Bridge. Anyway, I remember reading a, an interview with Volks when he played for us. And he, he said that he loved London and he loved visiting the borough market, uh, which is quite a famous market. And he said he loved that area of London. He used to go there a lot. And it doesn't mean a lot to most other people. But to me, being from the borough and, and most people not knowing what it was, it was quite quite a nice touch, you know, to have a Fulham player from the other side of London um, that, that liked where you were from. So it, I think it gave me more of a personal connection to him that I might not necessarily have had. Um, on the football side of things, uh, I think there's an obvious one that we'll get onto in a moment. But my personal favourite thing was a nil-nil draw at Arsenal at Highbury. It was during his loan spell. I think it was around the November time when we were doing really well. It wasn't a nil-nil draw that you'd say was on paper quite even. I think Arsenal pretty much dominated us. And it was one of those days where they could have played all week and not scored a goal. You know, Van der Sar had the game of his life for us. And there was a moment going into injury time where Volt saw the ball out for a goal kick and they did a close-up of him. Uh, and you could see he was absolutely knackered. He'd put in such a shift. And it was that sort of never-say-die attitude, you know, fighting every cause for the club that I admired about him. Uh, and I think it, defensively, it was one of his best displays for us. And let's not underestimate how big achievement it was drawing nil-nil at Arsenal. It was only the second point ever we'd taken against Arsenal away. And, and to this day, we've still never beaten Arsenal away. So to draw nil-nil with them was was a phenomenal uh, result. And he was just outstanding that day. Yeah, I remember that game well. That was, that was the game where Van der Sar had an absolute beast of a game as well, wasn't it? You touched upon this a moment ago and there was a lot of publicity going into the round of matches that, that took place over the weekend of the 30th of December 2006. As the first goal scored that weekend was going to be the 15,000 Premier League goal ever. It was fitting that it was Volsi that got the goal in the end because the headlines could then read 15,000 volts. It was just perfect. Um, and it was nice for it to come at Stamford Bridge too. Volsi didn't get that many goals, but by this point, he was being used as, as a central midfielder next to Carlos Bocanegra, two fullbacks, um, which is bizarre. In, in this day and age where every tactical decision is dissected by people like us on podcasts and throughout you know, the normal media, imagine these days if Scott Parker decided to play Dennis Adoy and, uh, and Joe Bryan in central midfield. It just, it, you know, there'll be... There'll be an uproar, wouldn't there? But because Chris Coleman was quite inexperienced as a manager, but he managed to get the best out of them in, in a different position. What were your thoughts on playing those two defenders in central midfield? And then talk to me about your memories of the, the 15,000th goal as well. I mean, we had Liam Rossinha during that time. And Bolts and Rossinha remind me a little bit of Adoy and Christie. Better players, obviously, but the way they shared... Uh, Adoy and Christie shared the right-back position last season. You never knew from one game to the next who was going to start. I don't know if that played a part, you know, finding a way to get them both in the team. I think we lost out a little bit having one of them on the bench because they, they were probably two of our decent players at the time. 
Volk's obviously had an engine on him, and like I said earlier, he had a bit of enthusiasm and he was good at running with the ball. I don't know if the, the plan was to be a bit box-to-box. I mean, that would suggest why he was in the position to score. Our midfield at the time was a bit rubbish, if we're being honest. Uh, I think this is the second season of Buba Diop, and the first season he was phenomenal. The second, well, the rest of his footing career he was pretty tame. We had people like Simon Elliott and Klaus Jensen, sadly, was always injured, so... All I can think of, maybe we was a bit short and it was forced upon us to, to play two defenders in midfield. Going on to the goal, I mean, you couldn't make it up, really. I mean, it's almost like in a moto, a hat-trick in the intertoto, you know, 15,000 volts. I mean, the perfect surname, really. And I think the goal came from a throw-on and it sort of got flicked on and he found himself on the ball on uh, the left-hand side of the box. He took it round the player and just smashed it. It was more of a hit and hope. And he looked more surprised than anyone that he'd gone in. But fair play to him. He was one of those players that I think if you'd put him in goal, he would have given 100%. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to say about the goal. It was a fairly average goal for a fairly average player. But I think sometimes... All it takes is that one famous goal to make a player's career. It happened to Kasami with the Palace goal. It happened to Rodney Macari at Carlisle. And if Foltsy doesn't score that 15,000 goal, what do you remember him for? But as soon as his name is mentioned, it's the first thing that comes to mind. And he was such a lovable person that I'm glad he has that moment for us to remember him by. Because otherwise his career possibly could have fizzled out and been forgotten. But I think he was too good a person for that to happen. So I think that's my favourite part of that goal is the fact that it gives us something to remember him by. Yeah, that's completely fair. We also got a point that day as well. And the other person to score that day was Carlos Bocanegra, the other central midfielder that we had in the team. I knew we drew, but I didn't realise Bocanegra scored the other goal. I mean, listen, if Pep Guardiola had done that, they would be (laughs) lauding him until the cows come home. So genius in a way, you know. It is. It is. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. just make, making the best of the tools that are put in front of you, isn't it? And it and it works. So fair play to Chris Coleman. I think that sums up Chris Coleman's time at Fulham. I don't know what more he really could have done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, in July 2009, after six years and 144 games with Fulham, Morris Volts was released, having spent much of the previous season in the Championship on loan at Ipswich. He eventually returned to Germany uh, with Sam Pauli in Hamburg. Were you disappointed when he left the club or do you think it's time that the club just came to a natural end? I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember him leaving by then. No, and, and that's why I said I'm so glad he got the 15th goal because it's something for us to remember. His career fizzled out. I remember him as being outstanding at Loftus Road, but very average when we was at Craven Cottage. I don't mean to be horrible, I'm just being honest. I I don't remember him leaving either. I think he was just injured quite a lot that season. I was trying to find this out when I was researching this. And he played a couple of cup games when Laurie Sanchez was there. Um, but obviously, Laurie Sanchez had signed Chris Baird, who was, who was playing right back. Then he was sacked soon after. Roy Hodgson brought in Paul Stalteri, didn't he, who played right back. And then just at the end of the season, Volsey just went out on loan to Ipswich, spent a season with them, and then was, was just released at the end of his contract. Well, I mean, if you, I think it's just a case of out of sight, out of mind. If, if he's always injured for the last couple of years of his career and you don't see him, then you kind of forget he's there. I mean, the same thing happened with Andy Johnson. He was a massive partnership with Bobby Zamora to get us seventh place. 
the following year was injured the whole season and Zoltan Gira took over. And you, you kind of forgot Andy Johnson was even a Fulham player. So I just think it's a case of that, out of sight, out of mind. And it's a shame that he didn't leave with a big standing ovation. But at the same time... He deserved like, that. He, he would have deserved that, wouldn't he? He would have deserved that. But there's been other players like Breda Hangeland that are absolute Fulham elite in terms of our greatest players. And what he achieved for Fulham. And yet, he got released by an email. So, it's nice that he didn't leave on bad terms and get kicked out. It just sort of, he just went quietly and it's just one of them things. We still love him. Doesn't mean we, we've forgotten him. But we still love Volts. What a wonderful person. He even turned up at the, um, the Europa League final, didn't he? I remember seeing people having selfies with him. So, he came to support Fulham that day as well, which is brilliant. I love stuff like that. I think that's why we love him so much because you, you can tell when a player genuinely cares for the club and they're the kind of players that you appreciate the most, I think. Yeah, 100% agree with you. All right, let's bring this to a close then. Let's have a um, your rating for Morris Foltz out of 10 for his Fulham career. This is where it gets a little bit negative. I have to keep it in perspective because over the course of this season, you're going to ask me this question every time. And you can't be generous with them all. You've got to be fair. Faltzy had a great start, but if you take away the 15,000th goal, it's got to be a six for me. Yeah, I'd agree with you in footballing terms, but I'd, I'd bump him up half a mark just for his, the character that he shows um, off the pitch and for his love of the club as well. So I'm going to give him six and a half. Go on then, go on then. You've haggled and, and you've won. All right, yeah. We'll give, <laughs> we'll, I'll give you 6.5 just because of his character and his love for Fulham. I'm happy to do that. Great stuff. Well, thanks for that, mate. Let's pass this back to the main show. Fulham. All right, lads. Well, we're coming towards the end of the show now. So, Dom, I'm going to come to you first. I'd like your lineup prediction, please, mate. It's very difficult for the first game of the season, obviously, because you've got not a lot to work with other than, you know, what's, um, what, what we had last season. But what do you reckon? Uh, all right, let's go. Let's go 4 3 3. We're not going to make any changes there. Um, Rodak, I'm going to put in goal because Ariola probably hasn't had time to find out where he's living yet. So um, give, give him a chance to settle in first. Get Rodak because he's done nothing wrong. So he doesn't always be dropped. Uh, Joe Bryan, Tim Ream, Hector, and I'm wondering if, if Tessie comes in, he might start. But um, at the moment, as he hasn't, it's going to be Dennis Adoy at right back. And then we're going to have Reed, Kearney, Onoma, the uh, the dream three. And um, Mitra up top with... That's a difficult one. Cabano's got to start as well, hasn't he? Because he's, he's earned that. And Knockout on the right, I suppose. God, this doesn't... Doesn't look like a Premier League lineup, does it? <laughs> yeah, no, not when going... you say it out loud. Not when you say it out loud. It no better way to knock our confidence, is there? Oh God, yeah. knock about. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Go on, Baldo. What would you make any changes to that? Um, I'd make I'd make a couple again, just based off what I I saw briefed out earlier. I think Ariola will go in goal, just because I think you don't pay that much to have Sim on the bench. And what I mentioned from Sky Sports earlier, I think Tete will be inside and in the lineup, so I'll go for him. Him, Hector, Reem, Brian, the rest of it, 
sort of makes sense. I'm going to go with Harrison Reed and Mario Lamina personally, because I think they're going to provide a defensive rock because we're going to need all the help we can get against our lot. So it's going to be more of a 4-2-1-3, 4-2-3-1 hybrid working out. Yourself, Tom Kearney just playing in front of them. I then I probably keep the front three the same. Knockout on one wing. Cabano again has earned the right to stay in the team. And then obviously uh, Jay Stansfield up top. No, Mitrovic. Mitrovic, obviously Mitrovic. Oh, I know what you're saying about Cabano, but he's not Premier League quality, is it? It's got to be Cavalero, no? See, we were saying he wasn't Championship quality about three months ago. <laughs> well, he wasn't three months ago, was he? <laughs> and he's, no, and he probably still isn't because. He's just suddenly scored a few free kicks, hasn't he? I don't think that's I don't think that makes you worthy of starting in the Premier League, but but he did play well. And at the moment, we've got no one else really apart from Cavalero, and he was really disappointing after the restart. Disappointing since we signed him, actually, in fact, permanently. Um Do you go with our cards and go with Bubakar Kamara? No. No. <laughs> I don't, I'm not even <laughs> sure that is. I'm not even sure that is wild card anymore. He had some good games at the end of last season. I, he probably earns his place for me more than more than Cabano does. You know, Cabano scored the goals, but Cabano, um, sorry, Camara does look dangerous. That's difficult, I isn't it? I still maintain an impact sub though, and until yeah. further notes, that won't change. Well, let's get let's get a new winger, and then he can start, and that takes away this dilemma, doesn't it? Or Joe Bryan, Joe Bryan on the wing, and then have that new Anthony Robinson at the back. Of course, yeah, we haven't mentioned, we haven't even thought of Anthony Robinson, have we? Probably for good reason, because Joe Bryan is going to start a left back. Let's be, let's be honest. Is he? Well, we'll see. We'll see on, we'll see on Saturday lunchtime, won't we? Come on, then, lads. Let's let's come on to a score prediction. So, uh, Baldo, I come to you first. What do you reckon? Oh God, not me. Um, I'm going to go. I can't see us keeping a clean sheet with that defence and that attack. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say two one to Arsenal personally. Oh, you miserable bastards, Dom. What I'm, about you? I'm not I'm miserable. Predict... It's realistic. <laughs> realistic is five one, mate. I'm going, to... <laughs> I'm, going to... I'm going to predict an exciting back in the Premier League first nil nil at Craven Cottage for eleven years or whatever it is. Ooh, that's a bold one. That's a bold one. We definitely and I'll be happy with it as well. Yeah. Any, any points on the board at this stage uh, would be amazing. I'd definitely take a point. I'm going to go one all. Um, there'll be some controversy. It's the first game back, and last time after the restart, the first game back, there was controversy at that um, that Villa Sheffield United game when the um, the goal line technology didn't work properly. So I reckon there's, there's going to be something. Um, but I reckon it's going to be in our favour and we're, we're going to come away with a point. V-A-R, 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 V-A-R. Yeah, we've got to put up with that this season, haven't we? Jesus. And by that, I don't mean Baldo, I mean V-A-R. Well, you do have <laughs> to put up with me, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah both actually, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you said V-A-R right. for one season, right? Well, let's hope not, let's hope not. Let's hope we're here for a bit longer this time. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to everyone listening for joining us. We'll be back on Monday morning to talk all about Saturday's game. Keep an eye on our social media in the meantime. You can find us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Fulham underscore Focus and on Instagram at Fulham Focus. You can also subscribe to the podcast via all the usual channels too. Enjoy the game. Give the boys a big cheer from your sofa or your pub of choice. And I'll speak to you on Monday.
Cheers.